morning, everyone. Today's scripture passage is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 30. If you are reading from the Pew Bibles, and maybe some of us have not touched it for a very long time, uh, it can be found on page 196 of the New Testament segment. Come, let us read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 30, page 196 of the New Testament segment. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having been made confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put here for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now as always in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, living is Christ, dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent or hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. For them, this is evidence of their destruction, but of your salvation. And this is God's doing. For He has graciously appointed you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but of suffering for Him as well. Since you are having the same struggle that you saw I had, and now here, that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Together with the letters to the Ephesians, Colossians and Philemon, Paul's letter to the Philippians was one of the four prison letters which Paul wrote when he was held in prison, bound with chains in his wrists and feet with an imperial guard. His prison was not a humble Roman vocation. Paul's words in verse 21 can seem jarring. For to me, living 
is Christ. And dying is gain. And these words do not seem to make sense. For This does not seem to make sense for a person in prison with the prospect of death. It seems as though Paul had made a mistake. Actually, the reverse might seem more coherent. To live is freedom, right? To live is freedom. And to die is Christ. So how can we, like Paul, declare to live is Christ during tough moments like this? I noticed that Paul was self-effacing in his letter. Paul chose to stay out of the spotlight. He, he shunned attention and praise. Paul was careful not to elaborate his discomforts so as to draw attention to himself. At the same time, there were news about competition in church. There were fellow believers who had personal animosity with Paul. They were, in his words, preaching out of envy and rivalry. And since Paul did not address them theologically, as he would, as he would do in other letters, this indicates that his rivals were not heretics. They were therefore preaching Christ, but from false motives. Their, their motives were simple, simply to steal sheep. And so in his absence, things could go out of hand in church. And so perhaps you are also facing a tough season right now. Things are really challenging and complicated. The situation just seems to get harder. And you're not sure if you can go on like this any longer. You could be struggling as an exhausted parent or a student worried about your grades. So how do we live for Christ in tough times like this? Allow me to make some observation. First of all, Paul had all eyes on him. Paul had a theological perspective to face life. A perspective is, is the way we see and interpret things around us. And so the logic and rationale in Paul's letters, it displayed his theological reflection with God about the rival preachers he had in ministry. Paul was not concerned about them. He did not even bother to compare with them. Paul had all his eyes on Jesus. He had a theological perspective that was focused on spreading the good news of Jesus. And this kept Paul from the distraction of trivial and petty matters. Rather, he seemed pretty glad that they helped to spread the gospel. And in fact, I wonder if Paul wasn't in prison, could he have even lent a hand to help his rivals? And this is why, according to Gordon Fee, Paul can write things like this because his theology is in good order. He has learned, he has learned by the grace of God to see everything from the divine perspective. And this is not wishful thinking, but deep conviction. It is not that Paul is too heavenly minded to be in touch with reality or that he sees things through rose-tinted glasses. Rather, he sees everything in light of the bigger picture of the cross. End quote. Paul sees everything in the light of God's bigger picture. And to live for Christ is to have our eyes seeing things from God's perspective. Likewise, without this uh, perspective as a pastor, it can become very easy for me to fall into the comparison trap. It could be very tempting for me to compare my leadership or preaching with other leaders and pastors. But I do not need to, because in light of the bigger picture, we are all serving the same God to win souls for Christ. And so for all of us, whether you are a parent, a student, 
or just an office employee, can I encourage you not, not to set your sights on how others are doing. Resist the urge to compare. Keep all your eyes on Jesus. Consider how you may do your best for the glory of God. And, and look at this. Paul's theological perspective shaped how he saw life. And how he saw life shaped how he faced life. My friends, how you see life defines how you face life. How you see life defines how you face life. Because of his Christian faith and preaching, in the eyes of the authority, Paul was a law breaker. But he was more than that. Paul was a Christ bearer. While they saw him as a prisoner, Paul saw himself as an ambassador, a preacher of our Lord Jesus. You may be overwhelmed by the challenges you face and are mentally down, but how you see life defines how you face life. We need to devote time to develop a theology that guides us to see beyond our present circumstances. Like Paul, we need to be grounded with a deep understanding of God's Word. Some of us, however, have not invested time to develop our theological perspectives of what it means to be a student for Christ or an employee that does your best for our God. And we want to help you keep your eyes on Jesus. And this is why in the coming weeks, we will be dealing with real church issues as we study Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. We hope that you develop your theology through this sermon series. And you can start by joining us for this Thursday. Uh, this Thursday's evening's uh, midweek teaching session by Pastor Ray on the overview to 1 Corinthians. If you're not in a small group, do consider studying, uh, do signing up for a study group during this period. My friends, how we face life demonstrates the kind of theology we have inside. Paul's theological perspective freed him from worrying about his competitors. His theological perspective defined how he faced life and it drove him to action. And this leads me to my next point. Paul had all hands for him. All hands for him. Paul had a gospel-driven passion to magnify Christ. Prison did not beat him down. Have you been beaten down already? When are you going to get up? Prison did not beat him down. He kept getting up. Paul was upbeat about the opportunities God placed in his hands to magnify Christ. Paul's imprisonment was a divine opportunity for him to spread the gospel of Jesus to people and places where others could not reach, such as military and political leaders. Paul continued to preach, even as a prisoner chained to an imperial guard. Think about this. Paul had spent many years in prison, waiting for trial before the Roman emperor himself. We can imagine a long line of imperial guards who were rotated to be Paul's wardens. And these men, they have no choice. They have no choice but to overhear Paul preach and talk to his friends. And it's in his entire duration in prison. I wonder who's the captive audience here, Paul or the guards, right? Paul had many opportunities to share with, with them about Jesus. No wonder we could almost hear Paul's joyful declaration that all the imperial guards had heard the gospel. The good news of Paul's redemption was at the heart 
of Paul's life. Paul was captured in prison, but he was captive. He was captive to the love of God. Paul just wants to magnify Christ. In his letter, Paul briefly acknowledged his circumstances, but he did not draw attention to his chains. Instead, Paul chose to draw attention to Jesus. Jesus was so much on his mind that in these 18 verses, 18 verses, Paul made at least 14 references to God and Christ. For Paul, the message of Jesus' redemption of our souls from hell was way more important than his physical redemption from prison. In verse 20, Paul shares, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way, but that by my speaking with all boldness, Christ will be exalted now, as always in my body, whether by life or by death. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. For Paul, the shame or disgrace is not in being condemned to death, but in becoming faint-hearted and not sharing the gospel when he finally stands before the Roman emperor. And so because of his gospel passion, gospel-driven passion, Paul had all his hands for Jesus. Paul hoped that his whole body, his whole body, meaning his actions and his speech, will be able to stand firm and speak the good news when the time comes. Paul was passionate about spreading the gospel with all that God has placed in his hands. What has God placed in your hands? What has God placed in your hands? We have 24 hours every day. All of us have the same amount of hands and time. What has God placed in your hands? As we consider Paul's gospel-driven passion to magnify Jesus, perhaps we should examine ourselves in our daily interaction. Who am I drawing attention to? In your conversation, in, in your interaction, am I drawing attention to myself? Or am I drawing attention to Jesus? Allow me to recap. We can live for Christ in tough times by, number one, having a theological perspective to face life. Number two, a gospel-driven passion to magnify Christ. Finally, we need spiritual parents in our church family. You are not meant to walk alone. Although Paul was the one going through tough times, we need spiritual parents like Paul to guide us through tough times as well. A spiritual parent is essentially a disciple-maker. A disciple-maker who nurtures others to grow in Christ, to love and serve Christ. Because it's more than a process or a program of disciple-making, that's why I personally prefer the phrase spiritual parent because of its relational emphasis of love and compassion in spiritual parenting. If you have time to read this, this letter, even, just, even, even the first chapter, you could see that Paul's love for them is evident. In Philippians chapter 12, he calls them his beloved. Let me read verse 8 to 11 for you. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best 
so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Christ, Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. Here Paul describes how much he longs for them. He prays that their love may overflow and that they may become pure and blameless. Although not all of us here will have physical children, but all of us can mature into spiritual parents who disciple spiritual children. And I'm hoping for more spiritual parents who care and seek to grow people in this church family into full maturity in Christ. We need you, everyone, every one of you, to step up. If you are a spiritual adult in this church family, who are the spiritual children that God has sent to you to nurture in the faith today? Who are they? Who are your spiritual children if you say that you're a spiritual adult? My friends, consider who are your spiritual children. I want to affirm that a Christian community is essential to help us live for Christ in tough times. But I want to suggest that your role as a spiritual parent has the power to shape you as well. In fact, Philippians chapter 1, verse 23 to 26 shows how Paul's love for his spiritual children has shaped him as well. He says this, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in faith, so that I may share abundantly in your boasting in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. He, he says it very clearly. It is far better. It is far, it is far better to, to be with Christ. But he says that it is necessary to remain with you. Paul's sacrificial posture is, is nurtured through his spiritual parenting as well. He, he doesn't just think self, self, uh, selfishly for himself. But as he considers the situation, he takes off a selfless, sacrificial posture. And so my friends, even as a spiritual parent, God is shaping us. Paul recognized his duty to remain, to disciple them, to progress in holiness and to walk with joy in faith. And as a spiritual parent, Paul did at least two things. Firstly, Paul modeled humility in his suffering. Secondly, Paul was shaping their theological perspectives through his letters. For example, when he wrote, to live is Christ and to die is gain, he was imparting wisdom about life and death. When Paul offered his, his theological perspective about his rival preachers in ministry, he was imparting his insights about politics and competition in ministry. What are the hot topics today that our spiritual children need for, need your wisdom? My friends, it's not about coming to, to church to, to hear the pastor preach. Sometimes, our spiritual children need you to, to listen to them, to converse with them. Don't pass the job to, to the preachers on the pulpit. For some of us, we need to converse with them about marriage and singleness. For some of us, we need a, a spiritual parent to let us talk about our mental health and the stress that we are dealing with. 
God, are you real? Why are all these bad things happening to me and my family? Why are you not saving us? In last year's Tidings article, Margaret confessed that she had asked these questions in her younger days. She grew up in a dysfunctional family where loud quarrels were the norm. Her mother had a serious hoarding problem that when Margaret gave her mother an ultimatum to choose between the rubbish or her, her mother did not choose her. Her mother could not give up the rubbish. So Margaret left home that night heartbroken. The burden of caring for her family caused her to suffer from depression and anxiety. Her turning point came when she signed up for the Disciple One class in Wesley Methodist Church. Margaret discovered the joy of reading the Bible and found hope in the Gospel. Through her small small group leader and disciple group members, they helped her to heal. They also helped to, to clear her home of things that had been hoarded and accumulated over four decades. This turned out to be quite an exercise, as you can see. Margaret was touched by how they took time to help, uh, to, to help her. When, when she was tired from, from the packing, they would tell her to, to take a break. They would pack food for her family. Margaret's family was shocked. Margaret's family was shocked by, by the way her friends had volunteered to take leave to help her through all the mess at home. In Margaret's words, they are like family to me. I thought to myself, so this is what God's love looks like. End quote. So this is what God's love looks like. And so in closing, I want to do something that perhaps we have not done enough in church. Could you look around you? Look around you. Really, really turn to your left, right or behind. Since today is an intergenerational service, can I invite you to look for someone who is of a different generation from you? Don't worry, I'm not asking you to leave your precious seat, right? But look for someone who is of a different generation from you. Is there someone younger or older than you whom you are sitting beside? Even, uh, even if you do not know them uh, by name, as you spot them, I want you to, as you spot these faces, spend some time right now. Let's spend some time praying from someone. Pray for someone from a different generation, whether you are older, praying for the younger person, or maybe even if you are 10 year old, praying for a 60 year old. Let's pray intergenerationally as well. Come, let's do that. Let's go to God together right now in prayer. Consider the kind of challenges they could be facing. I want to invite you to silently lift up prayers of blessing for every generation here, whether you are boomer, millennial, or Gen Z. Let's pray for one another. I want to invite you to begin to wrap up your prayers. Abba Father, many of us are facing tough moments. We commit all of them into your hands, even those who are struggling to confess that they need help. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may their eyes always be on you, 
even in the tough times. Fill them with the gospel-driven passion to magnify Jesus. Surround them with spiritual parents who may guide and sustain them so that the light of Christ may shine through even the deepest and darkest parts of Singapore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.